0: Well, hey everybody! Welcome to the Always in Pursuit podcast. My name is Aaron, and in many ways, I am your host. I want to welcome you all back to our uh, podcast and stream today. Joining me is Megan. Good morning, everyone. Hey, and Mark. And I'm the talent, Pastor Mark. That's you're, me. you're
1: the host. Megan is like the referee. I was say, what? Yeah, like
0: what am I? I don't oh. want to be ref.
1: Well, you got to make sure that I don't say something that'll get me fired. And
0: she, uh, she's that's not my business. She's the She, not the cat. What's the opposite of the catalyst? She is the peacemaker, the balancer, the fulcrum. I don't know. Yeah. She, it's, it's a good thing. Well, and last week we didn't do
1: a podcast, right? Yes. Because, uh, we just, our schedules were bananas. I had a wedding getting ready for, and Mm -hmm. you were kind of out. You were here, but not really here. That was my first day back. Yeah. So you weren't ready to. Nope. You were tired.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: we just decided not
0: to do it. I was sitting here by myself waiting in a, You know, people that know me actually think that's possible.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Anyways, so we didn't do one last week. Uh, The week before, we were with Bobby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now we're back to our our original trio here. And, you know, from time to time, we'll have Natalie or Bobby sit in, or maybe even somebody from church to get into specific things. There's a couple things down the road I'd like to talk about that I can think of specific people at church that I'd love to invite into the conversation. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, today I think we're going to talk about something a little bit more controversial. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of give like some.
0: So get ready to be controversialized. No, <laughs> I don't mean to be controversial. <laughs> but I,
1: yeah. I, I, I have made a full shift in my life in, in a specific area that I think a lot of people maybe haven't given a lot of thought to. Mm-hmm. Maybe they haven't um, thought a long time about the implications of this idea. And so uh, I want to start by saying like I'm not attacking anybody. In this, uh, I'm not. There's not a specific person I'm trying to get a hold of by having this conversation. Like, yeah, yeah. I, w- I just want us to be honest and think about some of this stuff, um, as it pertains to the church and as it pertains to our millennials and Z, and you yeah. know, and and also people who are kind of holding on to some of these labels that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about
0: today. And I think too, like the other disclaimer would be that the purpose of this podcast is to supplement the messages, the sermon series that we do doing here for good, and so. Sunday-wise, this coming Sunday will be week eight. Uh, we just had week seven as far as the yeah. sermon. And since we missed last week, this is our sixth podcast. So we'll covering a lot of bases here. But really, these are just kind of the themes and topics from the previous week's message um, and any additional thoughts that didn't get brought up or talked about um, either on Sunday morning in the sermon or just things that are better kind of dissected in, in this format through conversation and, yeah. and the, yeah. you know, stream of conscious. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we did talk a little bit this week about how sort of the power structure was against the idea of a new thing happening. Mm -hmm. And that anytime you change something, there are people that are threatened by like the way that they think things should operate and they protect those power structures. Yeah. So I think it does lead in well to the beginning of this conversation. And I don't want to say I've been avoiding it, but kind of have. it, It will ruffle more feathers probably than other things we've talked about. So I just asked for grace. This mm-hmm. is probably gonna be multiple part conversations, so happy to take your feedback later and clarify anything if it comes off the wrong way mm-hmm. or and hopefully this challenges you to think a little
0: bit. Yeah. And I think for me this is like I don't view it so much as feather uh ruffling. I view it more as like <laughs> the matrix moment where things were one way, you see things one way, and then you kinda of get some perspective mm-hmm. and you see things from a different sure. a, a different way that is hopefully better. Yeah. So, if you find yourself listening to this or reading this or whatever it is, <coughs> watching this, and uh you've you feel something inside of you welling up, whether that's anger or fear or anxiety or something else, I don't think you should shy away from that. That's probably a good place to be yeah you know, questioning and and wanting to learn more yeah, so I'd encourage people to lean in and come and talk to us if there's something you're confused about or we said something and you're not quite sure mm-hmm. what we meant or. Whatever it is, if we Always. ruffle fra- feathers, um, come and ask us about Always. it. Always. When I think of ruffle ruffling, I don't think of feathers. I think of potato chips. Like
1: <laughs> ruffles. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: Sorry. So uh, now we
1: have a four-minute disclaimer at the beginning of our podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the concept of evangelicalism or the term evangelical. And I'll tell you the shift that I've made. I don't mind saying this clearly and just being straightforward about it. Like, I don't call myself an evangelical anymore. I don't use that term. Uh, there's a lot of layers to this conversation for me that, you know, are complex, which I think will take probably multiple conversations to really get at. So today I really want to talk a little bit about the like history of the term evangelical and define what it used to mean and what it means now before we even get into the conversation about whether it's useful moving forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think a lot of people, when they Let's see, a lot of Christians, when they use the word evangelical, I think they're thinking of a type of Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're thinking of, like, someone who has a high view of Scripture, uh, a person who believes in a personal uh, decision to follow Christ, that, like, born-again concept is very highly valued within evangelicalism. I think there's a lot of people that grew up in other... (laughs) We're on. That's great. Um, I think there's a lot of people that grew up in other forms of Christianity, whether, you know, even like, uh, whether it be like Lutherans or whether it be like Presbyterians or even Baptists sometimes where they have like theological underpinnings. But I think one of the theological underpinnings of all evangelicals is that there's a personal decision to follow Jesus. It's not a uh, decision where you're kind of born into a family and you just are a Christian your whole life. It's, there's a, there's a crisis moment where you decide, you choose faith, you're born again. Yeah. I also think when people talk about evangelicals, there are people who probably... Uh, would have a personal relationship with Jesus. They would have, like, their own, potentially their own Bible study time or their own prayer time. There's somebody who's, like, generally has some of those elements of an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And so when they say evangelical, what they mean is I'm not a Catholic. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Mormon. Um, I'm a type of Christian who mm-hmm. highly values Scripture, who, you know, Uh, uses the Bible to guide my life, who has personal times with Christ, who has a personal relationship, who's made a personal decision. And these are things that are like core to who I am. And I think in a lot, in that way, a lot of people would say they're evangelicals, even if they are, you could be a Lutheran, be an evangelical in that sense, because that might be totally true about you. Those things might be exactly the same as your, your sense. Um, You could be charismatic and you could Mm -hmm. totally be an evangelical.
0: I think on the outside, uh, you know, an evangelical really just means it's like a technical way of saying Christian is how I think a lot of like people outside of Christianity think of it as, but it's a specific kind of Christian. So like not a main, is. not a mainline yeah. Christian, yeah.
1: which if you know what mainline denominations are, they're going to value different things than mm-hmm. those tenants.
0: They usually wear robes
1: <laughs> yes. in their services. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Not like the regular person showing up in a bathrobe yeah. to church. Um, but so they're they're really saying I'm a t- I'm a certain type of yeah, Christian, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not a mainline pro- progressive yeah. Christian. I'm not yeah. a I'm not a Catholic yeah. Christian. I'm not a Mormon. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whatever that is. And again, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to have to have the conversation about whether Mormons are Christians. Uh, that my answer is Christian. No. <laughs> yes, but but that's a whole other yes, podcast yeah. for another day. And Do if I've offended day. you, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's when when people use it in a way that they like are proud and they're like, I'm an evangelical. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they mean. Yeah. Okay. Now I think we need to kind of dig in a little bit to what the term means for, um, for the culture. But Mm -hmm. before I get to that definition, I want to go back to where I think this sort of all began. And you could argue the word evangelical, which is actually like uh, the, the sort of like underlying Greek word that's, that evangelical comes from, it really just means ev- like a uh, someone who shares the the message of cr- like um, like a witness. Mm-hmm. That the word evangelical it connects to evangelism, so it's like birthed in a a witnessing person or witnessing church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not actually a very complex uh, etymology of no. where the word comes from. However, it didn't really get used till seventeen sixteen hundreds ish, when it was mostly used to define congregations. So, like the Evangelical Lutherans started to use the word to like define, hey, we're Lutherans, but we're um, we're out there sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. So this thing that like defines us is this evangelical, like, um, you know, culture if, within our church.
0: Yeah, and some of you might be out there listening to this th- thinking like. This seems ironic because I thought that all Lutherans were evangelized. (laughs) Yeah, right. If you're using it in the basic sense, all Christians should
1: be evangelical. You would think so, yeah. We should be sharing the gospel, right? But that's not exactly what we mean when you use it. Exactly. So then you'll start to see this word being used personally in the, like, 1800s with sort of the Great Awakening and some of the old school preachers, the, like, Jonathan Edwards and the, like, I don't know, I should be able to think of like 10 of them off the top of my head. But there was this movement sort of in the 1800s of like personal decisions to follow Jesus, revival that happened within churches. There was something that happened in the country where Mm -hmm. just it kind of swept through the whole country. And in that case, people were saying, um, you know, I think those preachers sort of started a movement that I would have said looked like what original evangelicals sort of looked like. They would have used the word fundamentalist at the time. That, mm-hmm. That's the word that would have been used to like describe the type of Christian who was um, making a personal decision to follow Christ, was sharing their faith, was had a high view of scripture, like all of these things that we're talking about. Then fundamentalism <laughs> kind of takes a turn. And um, I'll link the um, – there's an article that we're going to talk about today. And there's also a great uh, YouTube video by the Holy Post. Mm-hmm. Phil Vischer, the guy who did some of the veggie stuff does yeah. some really great stuff to unpack evangelicalism. And he comes from the perspective of this word and movement can be saved. And mm-hmm. I'm of the perspective of this word and movement now doesn't really hold a lot of value to us, which, you know, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so he would say there's a time where fundamentalism is the evangelical movement. And then something happens within these movements to where they, they begin to split. And, um, there is a, a wing of fundamentalists that go right. And then there's a new thing birth uh, evangelicals. And this is like in the 50s, 60s. Um, so you have people like, so here's a couple of good examples like Bob Jones. If you don't know who Bob Jones is, Bob Jones University, I believe it's in Carolina, Oklahoma. I don't, it's somewhere in the middle of the country, <laughs> somewhere. Um, and it's a fundamentalist. Uh, church.
0: South Carolina, Greenville.
1: I see. I should just trust my my first instinct there. Go with my gut. Um, and so the fundamentalists, Bob Jones, the fundamentalists um, who eventually start Liberty, which is Jerry Falwell, they actually separate from the evangelicals during that time because the evangelicals don't have a purity of theology. I'll, I'll talk about why in a second. Um, and they separate in general so they take a whole group of people a movement within christianity and they go to the right and they separate from culture thinking culture is evil and only going to hurt us it's going to be a bad influence on us so let's let's take our families let's take our group of people mm-hmm. let's separate let's get out of here and they separate politically they separate um they continue to have segregated schools colleges universities that are segregated bob jones Um, didn't begin to allow uh, any non-white students until after um, the sort of the 60s movement. Civil rights. Civil rights movements, right? Mm -hmm. So they are actually forced into it later on by the government who takes away their tax status Mm -hmm. and says, if you guys want to be segregationist college, you don't get tax-exempt status from us. And so it turns into like this big war. Yeah. Liberty, same thing. They were a segregated school in the beginning. So this fundamentalist group actually starts to protect racism. It's part of one of their core tenets. They move to the right. They separate from everybody else. They say you have to be a theological purist in our, in our, but then you get this other movement that starts. And I think this is actually a good thing. This is what we would say is the birth of evangelical, the way that we're using the term. And, you know, it's people like Billy Graham, uh, they start colleges, so there's a couple of colleges that begin a Wheaton College. Actually, the first non-white person that graduated from college in Illinois graduated from Wheaton College. Mm-hmm. They're one of the first schools to accept, you know, uh, all races, and you know, are I wouldn't call them abolitionists at this point in history, but like they're very progressive in the sort of uh, disapproval of segregationists. Mm-hmm. And they start seminary out in. California called Fuller Seminary, which is still in operation today. It's a great seminary. Wheaton is a great college, really, really highly. I mean, it's considered to be one of the Ivy League Christian schools, um, and they have a really strong history in that. Billy Graham starts his movement, right, which is um, very big K kingdom when he begins. He'll go into a place that they want to share the gospel. He'll collect any church that wants to work with them. Anyone that says, you know, we'll, we'll lay aside our differences theologically so that we mm-hmm. can you know, uh, proclaim the, the message of Christ altogether, and we'll grow every church in this entire city by new conversions. Mm. And that's, that's his movement. He's Big K, big-time big, big K. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the fundamentals split from him, because he started working with churches that didn't hold the theologically pure uh, yeah. concept. So they could disagree on some things, but as long as they agreed on evangelism, and as long as they agreed on the message of Jesus— then they worked together to do these like huge sweeping um, you know uh, sort of I don't know, revivals or whatever yeah and thousands and thousands of people would accept Jesus in all these mm-hmm. cities all over the country. They started uh, an association, the National Association of Evangelicals, something like that, and uh, they also started a or an organization that reaches out into the world called World Relief yeah and they were able to so there this wasn't denominational. But what it was was a type of Christian. An evangelical Christian was a Christian who was wanting to share the gospel, um, still having a high view of Scripture, right? But being more Big K Kingdom focused, more wanting to work with other churches. More externally focused. For sure, yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of good things about evangelicalism at that time. It was not racist Mm -hmm. compared to its cousin fundamentalism, which was super racist. Um, It was sort of the counterpoint to fundamentalism. Um, and it was collaborative it was about yes. unity yeah they weren't dividing yeah. over theological like smaller issues um, they didn't want to separate from culture and society they wanted to engage culture and society unlike the fundamentalists mm-hmm. um, they were Big K Kingdom it was a free association it wasn't a controlling or manipulative or top down organization um, I'm just looking at my notes here to make sure I've got everything Um, and I think they were cool with you being part of the evangelical movement. As long as you said, I'm a Christian, that was essentially like what brought you in your desire to be evangelical. Like your desire to preach the gospel to people and your desire and you, you saying I'm a Christian. Yeah. Okay. So this movement thrived for a very long time. This is where we get churches that are non-denominational but they're evangelical Right? And some of those churches can look like a Baptist church, and some of them can look like a Lutheran church, and some of them can look like a charismatic church, but they're non-denominational, but they're still connected to a larger movement yeah. of evangelicalism. Yeah, the way you like described it, it doesn't sound that bad. It actually sounds kind of... <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad, which no. I think some people still, when they use the phrase, they're hearkening back to that movement. Yes, yeah. And that, actually, some of those tenets are things that we celebrate. Mm-hmm. We are big K kingdom people at Pursuit. Like We love... The idea of working with other organizations that have the same mission and philosophy as we do. Yeah. We're not getting caught up on small points of theology, right? Uh, I even think our church is, like, very theologically broad. You know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people who came out of Lutheranism, Mm -hmm. came out of Baptists. I mean, technically we are Baptists, you know, but I just think, like, little b Baptists. Like, not...
0: We're General Conference (laughs) Baptists. Yes,
1: right. That's a whole. There's a whole other conversation about what kind of Baptists we are, and we're not. You know, spoiler, not Southern Baptists. So that would be a tough one for me. Yep. Um, And and it's stupid that there's a difference between those two things. But um, and then I think people have come out of charismatic backgrounds. So like we have Mm -hmm. a big, wide variety. And it's what's funny is that we are in a weird way non-denominational because of that big mix of people, mm-hmm. and we are, in a weird way, evangelical because of that big mix of people in the... Classic sense. Classic mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, classically, we're evangelical. Yeah. Okay. The, the group of evangelicals, and I'm going to talk about the limitations in a second, too, but um, begin to have a, an impact on society. Mm-hmm. They stay engaged with culture. They stay engaged with politics mm-hmm. in a way that they tend they start to have a lot of power Mm -hmm. and actually this is kind of one of the things that I think the life cycle of any organization or any group of people it's like when there's a lot of money or a lot of power that gets infused into the organization it's almost like the beginning of the end for it it's really hard to explain but you lose your culture your values pretty quickly when there's a lot of power and a lot of money Mm -hmm. that gets infused into it and I think that's what starts to happen. You see the first evangelical person who is, uh, you know, uh, elected into the White House in, um, gosh, our, our worst president, late 70s. Gary, nope. Uh, it's coming to me. Uh, Nixon? Nope. The one term Southern. He's uh, a Democrat, oh, but he's uh, an evangelical. What's his Carter? name? Carter? Uh, nope. Is it Carter? Gosh, come on brain. Why is my brain losing its mind right now? I he, am so curious. he is a democrat. Yeah. He's a Sunday school teacher. William Taft? <laughs> no. <laughs> late 70s. Oh, wow. Not 1870s. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. Right before Reagan. Oh jeez. Uh, come on brain. Uh It was Carter. Yeah, Carter. Yeah. yeah, what's his first name? That's why I can't. Bill Carter? Bill oh, oh, Carter? Gosh. Jimmy Yes, thank <laughs> you, Jimmy Carter. What is wrong with my brain? I just Guys, like watching I'm so this sorry.
0: play out. I'm like, I could
1: not. I could not pull Jimmy Carter out of my William brain. Taft. Anyways, he's the first evangelical pr- president, which is funny. He's a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really funny. Yeah. Like he is a Southern um, Sunday school teacher, like c- Christian, like mm-hmm. person, and it's it's interesting that like all of a sudden the re- the Republican side goes. Oh, we need them. That voting block. We need that voting block. What are we going to do to win mm-hmm. those people? And there was other things that sort of began the political the politicization of this group of people. You have Roe versus Wade that happens in the seventies. You have um, uh, the civil rights movement that happens in the sixties. So you have like some big things that are happening in those mm-hmm. those time frames that start to coalesce a political viewpoint for this group. So, like, abortion will continue to be a gigantic uh, conversation piece for this, for evangelicals. They are, they abhor, I mean, just completely against the idea of abortion in any sense. And um, I wouldn't mind having a long conversation about that, too. I get it. I'm, I am also against abortion. I would prefer there to be no abortions in, in our country. How we go about that is a conversation that's interesting yeah. and will, I'd be willing to have with people. But um, so they start coalescing around certain ideas. At that time, Jimmy Carter comes on the scene. He plays up that uh, I'm a I'm a you know Bible teacher. You know I'm a nice guy. I'm your neighbor and peanut farmer. Yes, gets himself yeah. elected um, and. Many people have said he got elected by evangelicals. Mm-hmm. That they become like this powerful voting block. Then I think both parties start to say, "Wow, we could, we could really find a way to bring take advantage yes. of this." Yes. Yeah. And so then they sort of start to champion around the concept of being conservative, and they start to attach these conservative values to being evangelical, and it starts to coalesce. And you see it really coalesce around Reagan, mm-hmm. and you know even into. Bush one, Bush two, uh, you know, they're, I mean, you, you start to see those values come onto the scene. Even the, like, the religious right who fights against Clinton in mm-hmm. his time that, you know, goes through the whole uh, process of impeaching him and all that. Like, that is that is the evangelical side of the conversation pushing yeah. their politicians to go to all that, all that conflict. Mm-hmm. So slowly this movement goes from being really known for what type of a Christian this is a high valued scripture, you know, somebody who's willing to work with other people who has kingdom values, who's, you know, evangelical in the sense that they want to share the gospel. Like the, there, there are these things that like define them. They slowly start to be Mm co-opted politically over a 30, 40 year period. And, um, you can you can follow the roots of all that through Carter, through the '80s, through the '90s, mm-hmm. into the 2000s. So
0: there's this this connection that's made between uh, evangelicalism, which in and of itself is a of somewhat conservative religious sect of the kingdom of Christianity. That connection is made between. The, the group of those people and conservative politics or conservative uh, political ideology. Right. right. There was no political arm
1: of the evangelical movement when it began. Mm-hmm. This was added later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what also happens in the 80s and 90s is nobody wants to be called a fundamentalist anymore. They took the fun out of fundamental, yep. and that <laughs> word <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> no, Nobody standing up going, "We're the fundamental." You know, mm-hmm. like that's just that's not a yeah. thing. It becomes falls out of out of favor. The fundamentalists start to realize through Roe versus Wade, through um, civil rights, that if they don't engage politically, then they're going to lose their voice, and they're going to be uh, attacked for their beliefs. They're going to have, mm-hmm. they're going to lose their. You know, first they made us you know, get rid of segregation and now they're going to force abortion on us. And if we don't get politically active and they like over time, sort of like secretly kind of just morph into the evangelical culture. Mm -hmm. Right. So evangelical culture becomes these original people Mm -hmm. and these fundamentalists. And now Liberty would be like, we're evangelical and their roots are fundamental. And when they switched over, you don't really know, but you see people like Jerry Falwell, who gets very political, who starts to now represent the conservative side of things. Mm -hmm. And he starts standing up and spouting off every time there's a thing, you know, a microphone that can be put in his face. And he starts representing a conservative side of people. And they start coalescing more, not over theology, but over politics. Yeah. And what's crazy, this is one of those things I was really thinking about. Like, in the last 10 years, what you've seen is an actual... um, Uh, acceptance between evangelicals and Mormons now start to come into the tent of being a conservative evangelical. And you start to see Catholics come into the tent. So now it's almost like the word evangelical could apply to any person who's conservatively political. Mm -hmm. And also we have to make the distinction. Almost all evangelicals are white. Almost all of them, like 99.99% of them.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, essentially what you're saying is that this thing started in one spot. Yes. And over time, a long timeline, for a variety of reasons, Mm -hmm. it has changed and morphed and shifted into something that now, if you compare those two things on both ends of that timeline, they're pretty different. Way different. Way different,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. What started as a not political movement at all, it started as a unification for the gospel. Yep. started as bringing people together, not denominationally, outside of denominations, yep. not being torn apart by different theological beliefs, not, you know, even at that time, probably not even, like, just white people. Mm-hmm. Like, it was probably much more of a co- a coalescent, co- coalition of <laughs> of Christians, yes. I got there, yeah. Um, yeah. who wanted to see people accept Jesus, yeah. who had a high value of Scripture, who lived personally as, yeah. as Christians. These were... That's why I say, like, when I say I'm classically evangelical, that's what I mean.
0: Yeah, it was the evangelicals that were, you know, a big part of the civil rights movement. I mean, the white people that you saw marching alongside black people in the South, those were the white evangelicals that it was about, you know, those tenets that we've already talked about. It wasn't about segregating. It was about unity. It was about collaboration. It was about justice. Yeah, it was
1: engaging culture. While the fundamentalists were off playing with their own ball, Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to leave this. I'm not going to do this with you guys. And we were all kind of like, great. Sit on the sidelines. You guys are segregationists. You're racist. We don't care. We don't want you involved anyways. Be gone. Yeah. Like, like Bob Jones literally didn't allow um, uh, biracial marriage until 2000. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't say that wrong. 2,000. Not even in the 1900s did they allow it. Like, 2,000. Like, I had a friend who went to Liberty, and he had to, when he would, first of all, he wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies as a college student. Like, I'm not saying, like, go watch terrible stuff, but, like, you're 21, and they're telling you you can't watch an R-rated, like, what the... And he used to have to, when, if he wanted to go on a date with a girl at Liberty, someone had to chaperone. He had to have somebody from the college chaperone his date.
0: Liberty actually sounds like a really great. <laughs>
1: so this is like, this is around 2000, by the way. Yeah, okay. Now right. I think Liberty probably looks a little bit more like a regular Christian school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, right. Even though they're as conservative as it gets politically. Yeah. And, you know, always a lightning rod for all kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, I think some of those things have gone by the wayside Mm because they're stupid and fundamentalists. That was their philosophy. We're going to do it our way. We're going to separate from everybody. We don't care about what culture does. We don't care about what people do. Like, this is the way we're going to do it. And its roots were racist. Mm -hmm. Its roots were in protecting racism as well, segregation. I think there were a lot of white parents uh, who were happy to send their kid to an all-white college, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I hear this a lot now about people – who don't want to send their kid to a liberal college because they're afraid their kid's going to come back, mm-hmm. you know, like all messed up? And it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's like good for you to go listen to some other people and <laughs> have your. I mean, horizons yeah, We broaden. have these
0: conversations with friends <laughs> of ours all the time, where they'll talk about uh, a certain school district or a certain school, and they'll say, "Well, that's a bad school." And it's like, "Well, do you realize that the school that you have now?" Sent sent your child to or your children to that's all white, right? <laughs> you know, it's all like, and it's funny because we don't connect those dots as far as like, well, I'm not racist, but I'm segregating my child mm-hmm. intentionally, you know. So that's a whole different conversation. Yep. But And
1: you know. I'll I'll uh, rep Nyack really well. This is a school I went to in New York. Um, NIAC is the most diverse Christian college that exists in the country. They're purposefully about a quarter white a quarter black, a quarter Asian and a quarter Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Like they, they recruit for it. So mm-hmm. I love that school. I, I, I was amazing. And yeah, we still had a no dancing policy from leftover from fundamentalist we, we Christianity. Could, yeah, right? We <laughs> couldn't have TVs at Northwestern. <laughs> there was, us there. And I was just like, I'm going to a wedding this weekend. Like I'm going to dance. Like I don't, I'm, I'm going to become a Satan worshiper just because I danced. Someone some from
0: Nyack's going to hear this podcast, and they're going to be like, we're stripping Mark of his degree because he danced. At bring away. it. Bring it, Nyack. <laughs> so, so all
1: I'm saying is I'm trying to trace the connection yes, points here yeah. to get where we're at now. Mm-hmm. And then I think what happens here in the last eight years, well, I guess last five years.
0: I think it's been going on a little bit longer than that. I would say probably the last 20 years. Yes, yeah. but...
1: What happened in the last five years, I think, accelerated everything Mm -hmm. to the point of bringing it to a boiling point, Mm. bring it to like a crisis moment. Yeah. You have the narrative that people, I say, let's call them power brokers within the parties start to write within media, starts to write. Because of course, media, their attention is based on clicks. Mm-hmm. You know their attention is based on how well they're doing with people, and what sells for them is fear, mm-hmm. uncertainty, doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so they want to sow all that in, and then you start to feel like the culture slipping away from like the values that you have. And it is there is no doubt about that. It w- we'll talk about Gen Z in a minute here, but like it's moving way away from you. Like mm-hmm. whatever your values are. The culture does not care about them, does not share them, and is not going to legislate them. And fear is a powerful motivator. Yes. So you have the rise of cable news, mm-hmm. right? You've got Fox on one side, and you've got MSNBC on the other side. Internet media. Yep. They know to get a click, they have to have a salacious headline. It has to be based on fear, uncertainty, doubt, um, and then you start to feel like it's slipping through your fingers. And that you're never going to have a candidate that you approve of that's going to be elected, that you're not going to have a say in the way culture goes, that things are moving away from the way you'd want them to be moving. um, And you start to feel like helpless. And then on the scene comes a very strong masculine person who takes the fight right to the other team and punches them in the mouth and doesn't apologize. And you start to feel like this person can fix some of these problems and you start to kind of become fully evangelical in a sense, because mm-hmm. now this entire I this entire group of people has now sort of been co-opted. And I think for a lot of people, they were just in a weird place where it was like, I don't feel good about this, mm-hmm. but I don't have a choice because that side's so terrible mm-hmm. you know, to me that I have to vote for somebody who I don't want to vote for but then this cycle continues and starts to snowball and it gets more and more crazy people get more and more separated and i think you know what happens in the in the sort of meantime is that this word evangelical it completely switches over to becoming political and the other side hates evangelicals now they're their enemies mm-hmm. and evangelicals themselves are confused about what they even stand for anymore i mean you've got people who say i highly value scripture who don't look at it or read it or study it. Uh, They say, I have personal times with Jesus who don't really spend time with Christ at all. You know, they say, um, you know, we want to work with other churches and all they do is continue to divide themselves into smaller and smaller groups within, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this thing. It's like, it's lost its kingdom value. It's lost. It's, it means nothing to anybody. Like you, you'd be fighting over what this term means. Um, this, movement's been co-opted politically um and so for me like i just kind of woke up to the fact that like whatever it was what it is now i'm just not that
0: yeah it's almost like jesus has become a character uh characterization of himself like he is the brand under which conservative evangelicalism lives under like it's the logo on the front door you know (laughs) and people we keep you know i don't want to say we but the the people that unify themselves and we're speaking in very general terms. So not every person who thinks this way or votes this way is this, but there's a lot of people, you know, very broad brushstrokes. They don't, they say all the right things. They use this terminology and they don't actually fully understand what it even means. They just do it because they've always been doing it or because their family did it or because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is how there's this, uh, ruralization of Christian culture, You know, Mm. classically southernization, but more rural, like, to be conservative.
1: I want to move into that direction. So uh, that was my best uh, attempt at explaining to you where evangelicalism started and where it is now. Yeah. And you might completely disagree with that concept. You might be defending a classical evangelical Mm -hmm. viewpoint and that's okay. But I need you to understand, when you say evangelical in the world around us to non-Christians, it doesn't mean what you think it means.
0: Yeah. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, <laughs> I love uh, the Princess <laughs> Bride references whenever they get, come in.
1: I do not think that <laughs> uh-huh.
0: um Anybody want a peanut? Yeah. yeah.
1: So <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this article mm-hmm. that came out last week. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. It's a long read. It's from The Atlantic. You might not trust The Atlantic. Uh, even more reason to read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's written by a guy who I think is really fair. Um, grew up in evangelical context. Even as an adult, has been attending evangelical churches his entire mm-hmm. life. Wanted to dig into kind of where this, where things are at. And I thought he did a great job of um, kind of talking about where the evangelical movement is and some of the gigantic problems that we're having. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still say were, even though I wouldn't use that word to identify them. Um, And and I'll, I'll also say that like some, in some way all these terms are terrible because language is terrible. Yeah. Like the postmodernity has eroded I wish you guys could see what's going on right now in the background. It's great. She's just plugging in her computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very gingerly, just as to not make noise. And I'm just calling it out anyways. Um, I think these terms in general, post-modernity erodes language and erodes meaning in language. In general, things that you say now don't mean the same thing as they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. So you always have to kind of be reevaluating if the terms that you want to use to define yourself – actually mean what you think when you say i'm reformed when you say i'm charismatic when you say i'm an evangelical when you say i'm a catholic Mm -hmm. i'm a lutheran i mean just think about catholics for a minute uh in the 80s it meant something i'm a catholic it meant uh, it meant something and in the 90s and 2000s there's a gigantic scandal in the church and now it means a completely different thing it's it's a people look at it negatively when they probably
0: looked at it positively well and even within catholicism it parish to parish to perish they're very almost like denominations of catholicism they're very different you're very uh focused on different things i think um so like one of the really hard things as you navigate this conversation and i'm speaking to the listeners right now is that some of these things we're talking about issues or things that have happened where you maybe have no context or you have no like frame of reference so you know it's kind of like watching a documentary on something that you don't know anything about and you're trying to like stay up to date as you watch it but you have to like rewind it and watch it two or three times Mm -hmm. you know so i think like maybe this is the first time you're hearing some of these things and you need you're feeling the tension of like i need to know more this article that mark is sharing the youtube video these are good places to start and in you know, like you said, take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's it's someone who writes it. It's not hundred percent objective. It's not gospel. No, it's not gospel. Uh and it's not orthodoxy. But it's definitely it's it illustrates some of the things that we've been talking about in this series really, really, really well. And then the last thing I'd say is that um kinda as I've been thinking about this topic and uh kinda how we've gotten to where we've gotten, I've just had this really like I would say a fairly powerful image in my head of um kind of like something that makes sense for me. So my family, I'm Jess and I have been married now for fifteen years, and uh, I married into a great family, married a great woman. She's awesome. Jess's family has had this like four generation cabin in their family out in the Black Hills of Wyoming, and we've been going out there for the last fifteen years. They actually just sold it like this month, so we're not going out there anymore. Mm. Anyway, whole different story. At this cabin there is this totem pole that is on the property it's it was not carved by <laughs> like native americans it was just his grandfather was a boy scout like a troop leader for years that's where it came from but i've i've seen this totem pole every summer like for the last 15 years and i know where it came from uh, but i don't know like who carved it or how it got there all i know is that like over the last 15 years i've probably painted that totem pole like 3 or 4 times right and as I've painted it, you realize like chunks of it are falling off because the wood's rotting. Like there's a woodpecker that loves that thing. Like he's taking chunks out of it. Like and we're painting over it and stuff. And eventually a couple of years ago uh, in a storm, the base got so rotted it just fell over. And so if, instead of trying to like reinstall it, we just put it on the wood pile. <laughs> like it's just out there now, out to pasture. It's gone now. Uh, that's kind of how I view this topic of like evangelicalism. Is like it was created, it took its original form, and over the years, for a variety of different reasons, and not all of them bad, Mm -hmm. it's shifted and changed. Chunks of it have fallen off. They've tried painting it, making it look fresh in different ways. Mm -hmm. There's just different things. But now when you look at it, you're like, yeah, it doesn't look that good. And it's not serving the original purpose. And I don't even know what it is now. Like, that's kind of how I feel about this topic. You know, and which is like when we talk about it, we, we have a hard time saying like, ah, "I don't think I'm an evangelical anymore." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not
1: comfortable with the term. You know, and part of it is not. It's not just what I'm about to talk about. By the way, this uh, this article from the Atlantic is called "The Evangelical Church Is Breaking Apart." It's by Peter Winter. Um, I think it's a really good start really I mm-hmm. could read. I can tell, like some of you might be sitting there going, but I am conservative and I am a Republican. And Sorry. whoa. Yeah. And Sorry. I Rock would and roll. <laughs> and I would tell you, I would tell you, I can tell your age. I know what age you are. Yeah. Yeah. What I think people don't see coming or haven't fully added up is that millennials and Z are less Christian, less conservative. Mm-hmm. less Republican, less, uh, you know, I, I'd say less in common with the culture and values of being a Christian and generally look at those, those concepts mm-hmm. as being negative and or um, uh, not an attack on them, but like generally they're aggressively against them, mm-hmm. not even like sort of against them, mm-hmm. aggressively against them. And so if you're saying like, yeah, but but I'm a I'm a conservative sort of Republican person, I would say you're probably X or Z or uh, or uh, baby boomers. And if you're X, you're like existential about everything. You like don't know what to do with yourself. I'm an X and I've fallen in libertarian camp because I can't I can't be in either side. I know you told me not to say I I I dared
0: Mark not to mention libertarian, but
1: I can't I can't do it. And here's the thing. I think we need to to do a separation of politics and church again, church and state. Mm -hmm. Like It it needs to be like, great, whatever your politics are, we got to stay focused on what the church is and what we're supposed to be doing here. And the minute politics enter into the discourse of the church,
0: you lose everybody under 40. That's a problem. And I think, too, like it's important to understand and shout it from the rooftops. You can have this conversation... We're not taking your values away from you. Nope you you can keep your values. You can keep your politics. We're not taking those away from you. If anything, we're trying to show you a better way to do it, and point out the dysfunction that is prevalent everywhere, and and maybe you didn't realize it was a problem. And I know
1: personally, and our church is made up of faithful Democrats, Libertarians, Republicans, probably anarchists, Green partiers, <laughs> probably probably some crazy. Other thing, who knows? I don't even know what the other things are. And if your church isn't going to be completely multi, like, not only should we be be looking for diversity racially and Mm age-wise, but, like, we should have diversity in our political viewpoints. Yes. Your choices and your uh, values around what the, the role the government should play in your life should not affect... The gospel, mm-hmm. your mission as a Christian, mm-hmm. your Christian walk with Jesus—like those—that's those are secondary issues. The yeah. problem is now they're primary issues yeah. for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. So, tell us about that article. Yeah.
1: So, um, through it's a very it's a significantly long article. It's The Atlantic. So, I mean, it's really well done. I think um, I don't necessarily agree with everything The Atlantic puts out, but I try to read everything I can. And by the way, this is just a hack if um if you find yourself mm, valuing cable news and or ca- uh, conservative or liberal podcasts that sort of start to do something inside of you, put down the podcast, put down the television and go read. I know that people are still giving you a biased viewpoint, but when you read something you're you're informing what you're doing in a different way than you're yeah. listening to somebody. Mm -hmm. tell you something right so like i just prefer to read my news now i don't watch any news at all i don't watch any any of those any of the broadcasts that are on i mean unless there's some sort of like you know major thing happening that i I need to check breaking news but like i don't watch fox or cnn or msnbc or any of that nonsense i don't even i'm not looking for a version of Mm -hmm. of television news or i'm and i'm not looking for a podcast that's political i'd rather just read Mm-hmm. So I try to read it all, I try to read everything I can get my hands on that seems like it makes sense. So, um, the, the idea here is that for the evangelical church, the, like the politics have become the identity of a lot of people and have become their version of religion mm-hmm. and they almost don't know it. They don't know it. They don't know it. Right. Yeah. That there's a mixture of Christianity and conservative politics or Christianity and progressivism, because mm-hmm. I think the mainline church would fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's, you know, like a uh, like a, a thing happening in people where there, there was like a, a subtle shift in their life where one became the primary and one became the secondary. Mm-hmm. That like your faith in Christ, which was your primary, started to shift – Mm-hmm. to become your secondary because of the fear you have or the uncertainty or the doubt yeah. or the whatever around the political climate or what you feel like you might be losing in the culture.
0: I, For me, it was much more simple than that. I, I remember having conversations with people in college and having them around election time say like, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote mm. Democrat. You know? And so it seemed like, like if i vote democrat i'm not am i a christian <laughs> you know like these things were connected initially
1: isn't that funny almost all african american believers in our country are democrat yeah
0: <laughs> they must not be christian <laughs> that's what i'm saying like I'm it's joking, a ridiculous statement not, yeah. it's a ridiculous statement so i think they were connected at some point and then at some point they started to like superimpose on top of each other so you couldn't tell the difference <coughs> between one and the other mm-hmm. and now it almost feels like the political side of that conservatism is now the thing it feels like that's much I hesitate saying much, but it feels like it's as if not more important than the faith aspect of it hmm. and and so much so that you can't even necessarily tell the difference, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I love how you have you have people who you know say I'm a Christian but haven't shared their faith in a decade, but they're out there at a a vaccine rally or a black lives mm-hmm. matter rally uh they're like putting themselves to action over political issues, yeah, but wouldn't represent Jesus given the opportunity at all
0: yeah i mean someone made this comment to me and i think i shared this on one of these podcasts but it was this notion that the most fired up they've seen christians on like their news feed isn't about a a political movement or about like a a church movement it's about having to wear a mask i hate (laughs) i hate that that's true yeah that
1: is definitely true
0: and i think that statement like is should be i think for all of us pretty eye-opening you yeah, know, you know like what is it that we're actually doing here <laughs> <Yep>. you know <laughs> so yeah and it's again
1: I feel like I'm not trying to pick on conservatives but yeah. like it's insidious how uh, social media feeds you stuff that it knows you want to see mm-hmm. that like gets you fired up mm-hmm. and I agree I go on there and I just like want to puke mm-hmm. and then I turn it off yep it's you know i don't yeah. even know how to handle like yeah. the gentleness of jesus the like desire to mm. get into conversations with people that didn't share his philosophies i mean even paul going in and having like spirited debates with people who like completely had different cultural values and and doing it in a way that was winsome you know and graceful like loving <laughs> mm. we've lost that completely the like the the yeah. and and again, we're broad brush. Like, I actually think there's tons of people in our church that get this, that, like, they're amening everything we're saying. They're following the conversation. They're going, yep, that's how I feel. Yep, that's how I feel. There is a still an undercurrent of people who would rather their relationship with Jesus be the main thing in their life, and they've allowed that to be. Mm-hmm. But it's just hard over the, like, the what feels like yelling, you know, to, like, live in a way that's winsome. And, you know, caring for people. So, um, first he kind of talks about the idea that, like, our um, – that our uh, politics can actually, like, mirror a worldview and or a – like, a religious um, fervor Mm -hmm. that, like, actually feeds something in you that you're designed to have. So – You get community from it. You, you know, you uh, potentially have a um, religious-like connection to a movement, right? So there's like some things that mirror um, a religious experience Mm -hmm. that come along with politics that make it so insidious. Mm. Um, So he says, the historian George Martin, I'm just going to quote from... I printed it out. This is page six. Um, the historian George Martin told me that political loyalties can sometimes be so strong that they create a religious like faith that overrides or even transforms a more traditional religious faith. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think we've seen that. I think we've seen people get more militant, more religious, mm-hmm. uh, dig in harder, uh, uh, turn the other side into a caricature so that they can become enemies, you know, so they can like uh, vilify them. You know, and just dehumanize. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can take the, I can fight harder against this person because they're not even worth anything. They're not worthy of saving. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so he kind of like, you know, continues on the conversation and just says like, there's a lot of churches where there's a catechism happening, but it's not a religious one. Mm. And can you define that term for anyone who yeah, doesn't know Yeah, that's a big, it? big, uh, big yeah. Christianese word. <laughs> Uh, truth be told, we, <laughs> I had to look it up because the way he kept using it was as a verb. <laughs> okay. and he's, he was saying catechizes and also... Catechesis. Yeah, catechesis. Yeah, catechesis, yeah. both of those. And I was like, I've only heard this... So traditionally what I would uh, know a catechism as is just a way of... Um, it's a question and answers that teach people systematic theology. Mm-hmm. If you're a Presbyterian or
0: Anglican, you... You see catechism in the Catholic Church. Yeah.
1: Yes, you yeah. you've gone through... Um, a class or someone sharing this with you, where you've learned sort of fifty questions and answers that like help you navigate theology. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is the purpose of man, and who is God, and like, so it's this like systematic systematic worldview that gets installed in you at a certain age. Usually, they're doing this around the same times. So, like, confirmation happens for Lutherans. Yeah, confirmation is like a, a similar catechism. Light. Yes. Ish. You can use this word "catechism" for yeah. the installation of any systematic mm-hmm. worldview. Okay, and he argues that these—the thing that's being systematically installed in us, given the access to it and the amount of it in our lives—is politics. He's he's saying like, look, your your pastor is probably preaching a thirty-minute message. M- most Christians aren't really in a small group.
0: Pursuit, your pastor is preaching a forty-five to sixty-minute message. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 35 to 45. Yeah, are... <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Anyways,
1: this argues for a longer sermon. Punk. So, <laughs> um, yeah, he took me off track. Oh, so, well, so he's, he's arguing most people get 30 minutes of, of a sermon from their pastor. Mm-hmm. They're not doing a Bible study. They're not in a small group. They're not serving anywhere. They're not like in, in the church community very much. And yet, 24 7 there's stuff being thrown at them on social media mm-hmm. on cable news on mm-hmm. the radio on podcasts and people are filling themselves up they're being catechized
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're being co-opted by their political beliefs because they might get six hours of you know tucker carlson or don lemon or yeah. you know some podcast right but they're getting... Anderson Cooper or... You know, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But they're getting only half an hour of, mm-hmm. of biblical worldview. Scripture. And they're not doing their own personal investment in their relationship with Jesus. So they're not picking up their Bible and reading it. They're not doing a Bible study. They're not in a yeah. small group. They're not really... These 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 things are outweighing each other to the point where, you know, the, the political side is going fear, 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 fear. And they're catechizing people into this like response that becomes sort of religious-like. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So the simple analogy for this is like growing up in my youth group, uh, my youth pastor taught a couple like series on like garbage in, garbage out kind of mm-hmm. I, I, methodology. Yep. So it's like, I have to take my Metallica CDs and I have to get rid of them and replace them with like a Switchfoot <laughs> CD. You know what I mean? Like, with,
1: Yeah, that's yeah. terrible.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying like... Room for both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was like, Uh, If you're filling your life Mm -hmm. with, you know, temptation or evil influences or things that are not Mm Christ-like, then it would make sense that you become more like those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some truth there. And so, you know, the the other thing was like, you know, if you're focusing too much on sports or your fantasy leagues or. Shut up. I (laughs) know. That's not true. (laughs) Or your hobbies. I mean. None of those things by themselves are <coughs> sinful or bad, yep. but, like, there's room for abuse. And I think th- it's essentially the we same We can thing. all hate the Yankees. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Twins fans hate Yankees.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just simply going to lose because of the sheer volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know.
0: It's a real simple math.
1: Yeah. And God's voice is a still small voice. like. hmm He's not in your face on your social app. He's not causing you... I mean, you have to pursue it. You got to go seek it out. This is where when he says... We're at 56, by the way. If you're looking. Mm-hmm. This is where he says, you know, those who seek, they will be the ones that find. Those who knock, those are the ones that get the doors open to them. Those who ask, they're the ones mm-hmm. that get the response. like, there's a pursuit, you know, be a great name for church pun intended yeah that needs to happen in life of a christian that equals or outweighs any other pursuit of any other thing and we are accidentally catechizing ourselves politically to to be radicalized yeah that that fear creates a we must do something now mentality Mm. and you what's interesting is like just go google what elevated cortisol levels will do to you, which is a stress and fear hormone mm-hmm. that gets released in you every time you're watching or listening to one of, these, one of these political commentaries. And it's like, I'm not telling you to not know what's going on in the world, and I'm not telling you to not have an opinion, but I'm telling you that if you're giving yourself an hour or two or three of fear every single day then gee, I wonder where all our anxiety is coming from. And I wonder where all of our, you know, stress is coming from. And I wonder mm-hmm. where, like, we're essentially just diving headlong into fear-mongering every single day, elevated cortisol levels. Everything feels out of control. Everything feels like we feel helpless. And mm-hmm. yes, it will lead us to some very radical actions in that case. Like, that's what's happening.
0: Yeah, and, and not only that, but I think some of these messages that we're getting, again, regardless of your political viewpoints, these messages are the opposite of Christ. You know, mm. They're not inclusive. They're exclusive. Right. They're not about unity. It's about disunity. Mm-hmm. It's not about humanizing and caring. It's about dehumanizing and fighting against. It's not about love. It's not about grace. It's not about any of those core tenets and, and themes. It's the opposite of that. So it's in the irony is that how can you say Jesus in one breath and then your political ideology in the other when those are not the same, even though you've been told your whole life they are. I know
1: they got to be separated. Yeah.
0: And uh,
1: man, it was right there. There was something right there. Mm, funny. Oh. Jimmy Carter. This is what brings me back to evangelicalism. I know. I can't think of Jimmy Carter's name. (laughs) Poor Jimmy. He's the worst president ever, and I can't even think of his name. Um, Yeah, that was a bad experiment. Maybe not an evangelical in the White House again. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Evangelical. I feel like the fundamentalists have co-opted it enough to the point where when we struggle with issues still like racism, it's an echo Mm -hmm. of a group that never served us well in Christianity to begin with Mm -hmm. and now has co-opted evangelicalism. And listen, the Mormons have issues with racism. The, Fundamentalists have issues of racism there are now and they're now part of evangelicalism like so i've gotten to a point where again, this is a strike mm-hmm. against evangelicalism because there's no tenants you know what I mean because it's a free association uh, because it was essentially originally something that united all kinds of different people with all kinds of different theology now where it's gotten to is just so all over the map that we're struggling with the same stuff that we were struggling with in the fifties and the sixties because mm-hmm. now we've uh, essentially allowed in to the movement, a group of people that are still struggling with those issues. When the rest of us are over here going like racism is the worst thing in the world. And we would do anything we could to make it go away tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And now we're in bed with people who are still fighting this racist segregationist viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, that's probably gonna be the most controversial thing I say. So come at me later if you want. But, (laughs) um, so anyways, from this article, um, She says, uh, or the writer quotes um, the writer of a book called uh, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. There's a good sounding book that I might need to pick up and read. Um, Even if that was the only thing that
0: you said today, that would be like the most controversial thing. (laughs)
1: Professor of uh, Calvin College, or Calvin University, by the way, which is uh, Reformed. Um, uh, He says... The other issue with uh, evangelicalism is that rugged masculinity and Christian nationalism have become part of the conversation on what an evangelical is. Mm. And boy, is that showing, its, showing yep. itself. I mean, anybody who's listening to the Marcel podcast can see what rugged masculinity does to a church and to a movement. Yep. Um, it points it in the absolute wrong direction and how Christian nationalism is a thing that is, again, some sort of mixture, idolatrous mixture of Christianity and something else that creates... I mean, I can imagine Paul's letter to Christian nationalists right now, and it would be excoriating. He would crush Christian nationalists. Um, And he says, She defines Christian nationalism as the belief that America is God's chosen nation and must be defended as such, and um, talks about rugged masculinity as being um, people serving the rugged warrior Jesus uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is not a thing. <laughs> oh. Rugged Warrior Jesus. And Gross. almost this idea that listen, this idea that uh men need to protect yeah. against all this fear, uncertainty, and doubt around yeah. us that like men need to like stand up and protect. And you hear I, I heard this even growing up, like I don't think people meant it this way, but they would say this this term and it's just like Like, now I think back and look at it and go, like, how could I not have seen that when it was happening? Like, when I was a teenager in college, they would say, like, well, this church is led by women because the men won't stand up and take the responsibility that's supposed to be on their shoulders.
0: Yeah, and and I think there's people that would probably, like, hear that statement and say, like, so what do you want me to be, a feminist? And it's like, well, I'm not... No one's telling you what to do. We're just saying, don't do that. <laughs> like, and let me be really clear. Yeah. I think often we swing the
1: pendulum way too far. Yeah. Like we go, this is wrong. Let's go the complete opposite direction. Yeah. I'm not arguing for liberal theology. I think the liberal theology cuts the heart out of your church and takes away all the power uh, that you operate with. Yeah, and you,
0: I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm very careful not to share my own personal viewpoints here but I because I think, like I said... <laughs> I, no one is trying to take away anyone. Well, any of those. <laughs> like, no one's trying to take away your values here. You know, right. I think this rugged masculinization is the exact opposite oh. of what Jesus was. Yes, this is a massive so, problem. So just focus on that. Don't yeah. focus on swinging the pendulum somewhere else or making assumptions or connecting dots. Just yeah. say, this is not it. No, we yeah. know that for certain. Yeah. So let's not do that. And let
1: me, let me give you a little yeah. bit more because I feel like this could be like, mm, you know, redefined by whoever hears it. So here's what she says. She says, they believe God ordained men to be protectors and filled them with testosterone for this purpose. I, you think that's a joke, but I've literally heard Mark Driscoll say that. Mm-hmm. I think those words have come out of his mouth. Yep. Um, women on the other hand are seen as nurturers, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control are deemed appropriate feminine virtues. Men, however, are to exhibit boldness, courage, even ruthlessness in order to fulfill their God appointed role. And here's where I want us to be careful. Dumez pointed out that even men who embrace a kinder, gentler version of masculinity, servant leadership, for example, and we've heard this one too, where it's like, you gotta outserve your your wife. Like, that's good. You should say that. That's a great thing. If you're in a marriage, every person should be trying to outserve the other person. I'm all down with that concept. Um may tip into a more rugged, ruthless version when they deem the situation sufficiently dire. And for more than half a century, she said, evangelical leaders have found reason to deem the situation sufficiently dire. dire. They rallied their congregation against the threats of communism, secular humanism, feminism, gay rights, radical Islam, Democrats in the white house, democratic uh, demographic decline and critical race theory. And in defense of religious liberty. And all I'm telling you is that this whole thing is built on this idea that we have to keep people afraid of whatever boogeyman we need to come up with to keep people voting the
0: way we want them to vote. Yes. And why do they want Christians to vote that way? The answer to all your questions is money. Yeah. Or control or power. But yes,
1: it all comes back to, to co-opting a group of people and trying to Mm -hmm. use them so that you can have more of these things. Yeah. Evangelical militancy is often depicted as a response to fear, but it's important to recognize that in many cases, evangelical leaders actively stoked fear in the hearts of their followers in order to consolidate their own power and advance their own interests. That's true. My heart tells me that's true. Mm-hmm. My experience tells me that's true. The conversations I have with people tell me that's true. And this is why I won't use the word anymore.
0: And the people that have been walking away from the church, the millennials and the Gen Zers, they have known this for a lot longer than we have. They call this out yeah. nonstop. And yep. we think they're just haters
1: or people are like, oh, they don't get it. Or, oh, they're stupid and they're young. Or,
0: or they're lazy. Or they're <laughs> yeah. militantly yeah. left. Or, yeah. oh, you know, you can't like some liberal agenda, something or other. And it's like, no, there's they, a, there's something to, they've it. known this for their entire life. And we're just now realizing it. Yes. Opening our eyes. I think, yeah.
1: I think cause of the last five years, I think cause of even the pandemic on top of it, even yep. the, you know, the mask situation, the vaccine situation, the political strife, the, you know, tack on the white house, the, you know, whatever it's like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think there's a lot of us fed up with all that, but, we're now able to look at, step back from, and have perspective on, and go, yeah, it's not for me, man. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what I am, you know. And I don't have a word to replace evangelical for you. Sorry, like
0: I, Christ follower. Uh, yeah, can <laughs> we? I, like, I
1: actually think because of the postmodern society we live in, like the, the terms don't aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like it used to be a, a way to delineate where yeah. these people were, these people, and now it's like, I don't know. I'm not sure I want any delineation. I'm not sure it holds up over time anymore. You know, like yeah. I'm gonna follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. You want to know what I'm where I'm at? I'm digging into His Word. I'm spending time with Him. I'm gonna let Him speak to me more than the rest of the crap that's out there. I'm gonna listen to what He has to say. I'm gonna be bold for what He. I'm gonna be like inclusively inviting people into the church until it hurts, mm-hmm. because the application of grace is so fierce that mm-hmm. it's going to you know, make us all feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to empower women and not act like they were, you know, second best second class citizens. Cause the men wouldn't do what they were supposed to do or that they need my protection in any way. I'm just going to step back and let them use the God given gifts. The Holy spirit has placed in their life and tell them to run the same way I would with them with a man. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I just don't, I'm not in, I'm not in any of these, any of this, this stuff anymore like I, I just can't this can't be what defines who, who I am personally and you know to some extent I won't let it be the kind of thing that defines who we are as a church because like I said I'm pastoring real people who are Democrats and Libertarians and Republicans who are conservative and who are liberal and there needs to be room for all these people because your political beliefs do not do not change your belief in Jesus like yep. you can be all of those things and be a Christian <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. And if you don't believe that, like you're you're missing it. You're missing it. You're the one that's making this militant.
0: Mm-hmm. You're the one that's taking this down that road. Not not me. Right. And I think besides getting back to Jesus and the gospel, I think the one of the several rescue missions is rescuing these people who have walked away from the church because of these things. We need to get back to a place where we can hold all of these things at the same time and still rally and unify around the cross. And if we do that and live those out in practical, loving, graceful ways, that's how we'll win people back. You know, they won't, they won't be able to walk away from that, you know, to use a word that you use a couple of weeks ago, it'll be so winsome that they can't resist, you know? And right now it is not winsome. It is really difficult and frustrating and it's not where it should be.
1: Well, Hey Pursuit. Uh, thank you for listening to that podcast. It, uh, cut out on us at the last second. We had a malfunction of our recorder, but we got the whole thing in. We were literally about to finish it up. So thanks for making it to the end. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, millennials and Gen Z. And as they age up and sort of take over the leadership of the church, most millennials are now 40 and down. So um, as they start to lead and be in significant positions of power in the church, what's that going to do to the church? And um, how does the word or the idea of evangelicalism uh, fit in with millennials and Z what are their political preferences? What are their religious preferences? We're going to try to get into some of that next week, um, and talk more about it. As always, if you have questions, you want to talk about something specific, please send us an email, send us a text. Let us know if you were super offended by this, let us know if you completely agreed with everything and you were amening the entire time, please let us know. Um, we don't really want to do these in a vacuum. We love to have interaction. So the more that you let us know how you're feeling about it and what you're thinking about it, that is helpful for us. And if you have questions, we will deal with them very openly and honestly. So hopefully we will see you next week as we continue on the conversation. Thanks for listening today.